0: And welcome into episode 46 of Great Quarter, guys. I'm your host and research analyst here at Freight Waves, Andrew Cox. I have with me Seth Holm, uh, the senior research analyst on our Freight Intel team here. He is a consumer and retail guru we're going to talk a little bit about. Uh, we're going to do our, our fun, uh, see or no. Uh, section, You care or not, we're going to run through a few of those. Then we're going to get into the holiday season, our expectations for the, the shopping holiday season. And we're going to get into the big discussion today is on driver wage inflation. We just heard news last week that or maybe the week before that Schneider National was raising driver wages up four cents a mile for experienced drivers, two cents a miles for inexperienced drivers. What does that mean for the market? Do we think that the rest of the market is going to follow suit and 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 uh, raise wages as well? But let's bring Seth in here. How are we, Seth? Good to have you, man. Uh, good to be back. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, brother. So this is episode number 46. There is only one number 46 in the Professional Football Hall of Fame. That is Lou Groza. He had a very interesting uh, career. If you didn't know, he was an offensive tackle from 1946 to 1959, and then he had a back injury that. Uh, did not allow him to play offense anymore, and then he became a kicker, uh, and he scored, he has uh, like 1,600 points in the NFL, uh, incredible career, made it as both a tackle and a kicker. So let's jump in it. Kevin's on vacay. Seth is here with me. Let's jump into our ode to C- oh, no. This is our gauntlet of interest called you care or not. Nah. The way this works, I'll give you an event. I'll give you a topic. I'll give you uh, a- a something going on, and you tell me whether you care or not nah and why. Number one, the National, Fed, the National Retail Federation published its Consumer Holiday Spending Survey this week. Shoppers say that they plan to spend less overall and pull back on purchases for themselves. In fact, nearly all of the decline in spending expectations this year come from people who say they are hesitant to buy items for themselves, even if there's a big sale. Seth, you care or not? I care. And I, I thought this was interesting. I mean, so one thing I learned is being a consumer
1: analyst over the years, a good consumer analyst, you have to put yourselves in the shoes of other people. So you can't just think, hey, what would I buy? It's it's what does the you know the typical American consumer do. So I think uh, that a lot of particularly females probably, when they go out shopping, buy things for themselves when they're Christmas shopping. So what was you know, I I, I found it a little bit surprising that it, it was gonna be down year on year as we've talked about for the last few weeks. I think it will still be up year over year uh as we can get into later but um you know, as you said, what was really interesting was that, uh, you know, the the only part of the decline, uh, the, the gift spending is actually only $8 less on like $1,000. Um, all the decline is coming from people buying gifts for themselves. Um, and so I think that's one thing that's kind of hard to survey and gauge accurately because it's such an impulse buy. Yeah, that exactly. in the moment you might end up, in, especially when you're thinking, hey, I hadn't been on vacation this year. I've been keeping things tight. You know, I deserve this, you know. Precisely.
0: Yeah, that, that's the reason that I don't care about this is just uh, everything that I buy for myself is always impulse. I never go to the store expecting to buy anything for myself. So I think that people will see some sales, and, and I think they'll, they'll walk back that uh, talk of not buying things for themselves. And, you know, the other interesting thing is uh,
1: being an analyst in this space. Uh, so I looked back at the last time on the graph. This is an annual survey, and they've done it for the last 10 years. Uh, The last time that spending intentions were negative for the holiday season were 2015 uh, on that graph. So I went back and I looked at Q4 2015. What did holiday sales actually do? And they were up 3%. So there you have it. also a little bit tough to gauge, you know, whether there's follow through on the on the survey results.
0: Certainly. So something else that's tough to gauge is this valuation of SpaceX. So we heard back in July that, they, that Morgan Stanley had valued the company at $52 billion, which is, you know, this is a private company. We don't get a lot of insight into SpaceX. We know that they're shooting up rockets pretty often, putting satellites into space. But they recently, just this week, got a big-time evaluation boost from Morgan Stanley, up to $100 billion. Uh, there's definitely some incentive there for Morgan Stanley. But, Seth, do you care or not about the SpaceX valuation?
1: Uh, I care. You and I both are interested in this space. I mean, it's more, you know, more of a passion uh, mm. for me that I'm just sort of interesting in how all this is going to play out. I'm always a little bit nervous whenever you see valuations for public or private companies double in the space of a couple months, especially because generally what that tells you is it's likely to be mainly valuation expansion Um, and you know as this article talks about and we were talking about offset before the show uh, the brunt of the value here is going to come from this Starlink uh, satellite internet business and that I would say you know I've I've done very limited research but it's hard to make any sort of definite prognostications about that business uh, especially 10-20 years in the future.
0: Yeah you're right that business is definitely the 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 Bulk of the growth here, they uh, Morgan Stanley valued that at forty-two billion, I think, or, or, or it doubled it 80, now to eighty.
1: Eighty or ninety of the hundred billion came from Starlink,
0: right? So it was forty-two billion. I think it's now eighty-one billion or something like that. So they're, they're expecting. And if anybody that hasn't heard of Starlink, it is a network of satellites that SpaceX is currently um, putting out in space, and they're looking to cover up the entire world and provide broadband internet to every corner of the planet. That's the idea. Uh, they think it could be a massive business moving forward. You know, billions of dollars in, in, in income. And profit every year. But the big caveat here is that it comes with nearly a $250 billion expense to get these satellites up. They're expecting like 40,000 satellites to be in the sky. So it's going to take a lot of money, a lot of reusable rockets to get this up and running. Yeah. All right. So, number three, a little fun one here. This is going to be the first year in 158 years that there will be no live Santa Claus at Macy's. Seth, you care or not? I care. I've got two girls under
1: three. <laughs> you have to care. Um, And it's a little sad, honestly. When I read that, um, Mm. a little piece of me died, I guess. It's Uh, a little depressing. And, um, you know, I was also surprised. I mean, I think Macy's started in New York City, right, where they have the New York City parade. I mean, so 158 years is a long time, Uh, going back to, what, 1870 or something? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That people have been sitting in Santa's lap. And I, I had to think through, like, when was the camera actually
0: invented? So oh, I think it was uh, the late late 19th century, so 1880s. So you right. probably so just it went, probably right went pre pre camera or just as the camera was becoming a thing. Right. So I mean I
1: it's a big deal for little kids. Uh, it's a little bit sad. And I do think that it will hurt the malls because that drives a lot of traffic to the malls, uh, in the, in the holiday season.
0: Yeah. Somebody might make an impulse buy while they're there, uh, well, on, yeah, on or, Santa's lap, you know, you get, you get them in the store. You, want, sometimes, you want them in the building. At, at
1: Atlanta, uh, you know, Linux and Phipps mall, uh, a lot of people go and you have to make your reservation, no joke, like six months in advance. Jeez.
0: Jeez. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't care about this one that much. i I don't have two two-year-olds or two uh, two young girls at home, so I wouldn't be making a trip to see Santa anyway. Uh, I wouldn't be going to Macy's either, so I don't really care too much about this one. But I do feel I've got uh, eight nieces and nephews now, so they're definitely not going to be happy uh, with this news. All under the age of 12, so they're not going to be happy about no Santa. But number four I've got for you is a little rumor here that Dunkin' Donuts may be going private. They the the management actually confirmed that there was a rumor going around and they are in talks to sell to inspire brands who is a a subsidiary of rort capital there in atlanta inspire brands also owns arby's and jimmy johns the deal is valued at just under nine billion dollars which is a 20 percent premium over the closing price of duncan stock on friday seth you care or not about duncan going private
1: I care so you're hitting on some good ones for me today uh, a lot of these are consumer-oriented that's right so, um you know i moved up here from atlanta for for those who don't know to chattanooga and um so i'm familiar with Rourke capital they are a very very probably one of the most elite restaurant private equity groups in the in the world if not the country um and they've been very very successful and as for duncan as a business i actually pitched this as they long to the fund that I worked at many years ago. So I've followed this one. Uh, Duncan has been a story. Uh, it's very, very popular in Boston in the Northeast, and the whole growth story was kind of transitioning west of the Mississippi River and doing that sort of unit growth story. And over the last couple of years, that's kind of slowed. But at you know at its core, Duncan is still a really great business. If you think about coffee, it's extremely high margin. Mm-hmm. They're selling you a cup of coffee for 250. Probably costs 10 cents. Yep. And uh, it's recurring, and it's addictive. Uh, yeah. And then you know you layer on the fact that they sell uh, donuts and other things in there. Um, it's a good business, and it's not going anywhere.
0: Yeah, I do care about this one as well. Not so much from the idea of it going private, but I just like Dunkin' as a brand. I think they've been doing great things recently. So they just made, I don't even know who this girl is, but uh, there's a TikTok star named Charlie DiMello. I think she's got like 100 million TikTok followers. They noticed that she was just posting about Dunkin' Donuts like weekly, that she likes Dunkin' Donuts. So they, they did a deal with her. Uh, they made a Charlie drink. I don't even know what the drink was, but they sold like hundreds of thousands of them in the first week. They right. saw a 60% jump in, in app downloads from that partnership. So not only were people coming in, but they they're also downloading the app and purchasing through there which is exactly what they want and they've also seen they've, i think they've been really smart about growth in products over the past few months they've added a bunch of uh, fruit drinks and tea drinks uh that that you know that starbucks has had for a while so they're they're playing ketchup uh but i think it's a good brand and i'm happy to hear that that they're going to get uh, what looks like to be a big premium on their valuation All right, so we got two more for you. The last one here is, again, we have some more SPAC news. They cannot keep the word out of my mouth. I try, but it's so hard. SoftBank's making the news this time. They have plans to uh, do their own SPAC, and they say this is actually – it's crazy how quickly SPACs can happen. So they say within the next two weeks, they're going to raise a currently undisclosed amount for a SPAC within the next two weeks. Seth, you care or no about this one?
1: Oh, um (laughs) – you know, SoftBank, I've followed this company really closely for 10 years. masayoshi Son, the founder is, you know, he's really out there. He's mm-hmm. a visionary. Uh, he is highly polarizing. Uh, his critics say he throws them around money like it's candy. Uh, and you've probably seen that with WeWork. Yep. I think anyone who, um, you know, there's a lot of private capital in the transportation and the freight tech industry. So I, I do care from that. It, it's going to affect valuations. Uh, you know, capital structures and deals all across the board and, and, and private equity. So from that perspective, I do care. Honestly, I haven't dug into that article too much. So you'd have to tell me a little bit more about it. But um, SoftBank is a whale in the venture community. I mean, the Vision Fund was, what, $100 billion? 100 billion yeah, And that minute. was more than the entire rest of the entire VC industry. So I think you kind of have to care whether or not you want to or not.
0: Yeah, you got to watch out for SoftBank. They are certainly whale. I'm glad you mentioned that word. Back to the news, they've yet to have yet to uh, comment on whether they were that Nasdaq whale that bought up all of the crazy uh, call options. But you know we kind of we kind of know they were. Uh, last one for you. Lowe's. This is actually a crazy story to me because they have gotten. They've they've really thread a needle here with their expansion of merchandise offerings. So they've brought in their merchandise offerings this year to include exercise equipment, bamboo bedding, air fryers, movie projectors, and battery-powered scooters. So they're expanding outside of just home improvement. Seth, you're a, you're a retail guy. You care or not about this one?
1: Yeah, I care. Uh, I, I find without doing much research, I, I find the. What they're adding here, interesting. I I get the exercise equipment, the movie projectors. What about bamboo bedding? That
0: wouldn't make sense, huh? Right.
1: Bamboo bedding. (laughs) I don't know anything about. That must be some new uh, healthy uh, uh, way of doing things. But um, air fryers, I think, are selling. A a lot of these make sense, right? But um, I think anything that can drive traffic that is not going to hurt your brand, and you know, if you have excess square footage for it and that sort of thing, and you have a you're, it fits your customer base. Then right. any any opportunity to uh, grow comparable store sales, I, you know, I, I applaud it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, as we talked about, I think they got a little bit lucky maybe you said they did this at the end of the year last Yeah, so year.
0: right you know if you're ordering these things from from China or from another country that's producing them you're gonna have to order them months and months in advance they likely ordered these these items in q1 uh, just as the coronavirus was hitting or before it even hit at all so w- w- if they knew that the, if they knew that people were going to start buying exercise bikes then you know more power to them but uh, I would think that they got a little bit lucky with these th- these guessing games of what were what were c- going to be in demand uh, and they've really just again thread the needle and, and I think you're right I think they've done a lot of good things they've added merchandise. merchandise. Merchandise in areas that people would have already bought. It's it's with their customer base, their air fryers and electric bikes and scooters and things. It's already with people that are going to build a deck on their backyard or or redo their floors. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think we talked about um,
1: on our Slack channel for our research group, uh, Peloton. Actually, uh, Goldman Sachs put out a research note last week that they may actually miss the fourth quarter because of the delays at the Los Angeles port. So Mm -hmm. I think that tells you that demand for exercise bikes is off the chart. And then if you look at – Nautilus, which is a company a lot of people yep. have forgotten about, uh, that stock, I believe, is going from about a dollar to $25. Yeah, everybody's talked about
0: months. Peloton and their growth, but I saw somebody uh, the other day just like ringing the alarm bells. It was like, why doesn't anybody forget about the company that had the 10 year lead? And it's been Nautilus, you know, they'd gotten crushed because because Peloton had come and taken their market share, but now you're seeing they're reaping the benefits and selling people more. People had forgotten about them, and then
1: Nautilus, uh, their market cap's only a billion dollars, and, uh, you know, so they're kind of the number two player. Uh, even Peloton, I think, is a lot more than that. I don't know what it is. I'm guessing 40 or 50 billion.
0: Um, All right. So let's shift gears here to the holiday season. Uh, So we've got this report out from Jay Soul. He is an analyst at UBS and he's kind of expecting the holiday season to not be as warm as you and I are. And as many in the trucking industry are, Uh, he's kind of expecting this holiday season head fake. So I'll I'll give you some of these, um, some of these numbers here. He has recently put out the report that he thinks holiday sales will fall 10 to 12% year-over-year, year, but these are for soft-line goods, so we're Correct. talking accessories and clothing-type deals rather than hard-line goods like electronics uh, yep. and, and things that last... TVs, l- appliances. Right exactly so this this call comes in part from a survey of US shopper intentions this year 41 percent of the uh, respondents say that the economy will affect their holiday spending versus 28 percent last year that's the biggest change since the global financial crisis more than a decade ago and this is a, a sharp there's also a sharp increase in the number of shoppers that will start their holiday shopping by November 1st I think this is where he's getting that real head fake idea from he thinks there's going to be a huge pull forward thinks there's going to be strong holidays for the you know Cyber Monday uh, Black Friday deals, but he thinks things will taper off for these soft line goods uh, moving after that. We're definitely going to hold him to the fire on that because we've got this Bank of America data on a weekly basis that we'll be able to see these real time indicators. But what do you what do you make about this call? Do you think that it has any any legs to it?
1: So I'd say a couple things. Uh, I think that the the pull forward is a really interesting uh, thing to note from a transportation perspective. So you've seen. Prime Day used to be in July. It's mm-hmm. in October now. A lot of basically to smooth out the supply chain's really tight right now. Yep. So to smooth out that demand and, you know, you're not going to necessarily have your physical stores open uh, on Black Friday or you know, you're you not going to have the traditional people lining up in tents. Right. for Three miles outside the Best Buy, you know. Um, and so. I think that's a really interesting angle and story for trucking, because if he's right about that, then that's obviously negative for trucking, because one of the key questions right now in the trucking market is, you know, is this strong consumer demand going to sustain all the way through the fourth quarter Mm -hmm. into contract renegotiations in 2021? So that will be interesting. The other thing I'd say is, um, you know, it's kind of uh you know i've been pretty sanguine uh on my outlook i'm not as close to this as i used to be i used to live and breathe this stuff every day but um you know the the u.s consumer on all the stuff we follow looks pretty good so this did catch my eye in terms of You know there's not a lot of people out there with any sort of this this is on the more bearish side so anytime I see something like that I tend to pay attention I do know Jay I used to meet with him all the time and he does cover it is soft line specific so the other thing that you know enters my mind is when we've looked at the apparel spending specifically in the Bank of America data it has been weaker than for example the the electronics and Mm -hmm. furniture and some of the other areas so uh, and then you got to you gotta say, okay, uh, soft lines of the overall five or six trillion in retail spending, I think it's about a trillion, or one to two trillion off the top of my head. So, you know, I think this is, is this more of the same or is this a big inflection point? That—that That is one thing that, uh, that enters my mind. The, and then the last thing I would say about this article is, um, you know, it's just sort of noteworthy how high the uncertainty is right now, because I noticed that in the article, uh, it doesn't look like the NRF, the National Retail Federation, has actually published their estimates for Q4 yet, uh, but uh, I believe it was uh, Accenture thinks they're going to be down 15% year over year, and then Deloitte says they're going to be up 1 to 1.5% year over year. So it's kind of all over the map, and I guess to wrap it up, is uh, it's something I'll be paying attention to. I don't necessarily, maybe that will be true of apparel and some of those soft lines, but I. I I'm still sticking with my guns. I think it'll be a pretty good holiday season.
0: Yeah, I mean, looking back at this Bank of America data here just for a second. So clothing on the latest week that we have. So this is the week ending uh, the 17th of October. We have clothing spending up 2% year over year. But that's compared to, let's say, furniture, which is up 26% year over year. Or online electronics, which we have discussed as an outperformer, is up 71%. Uh, so, yes, it's been a little bit a little bit lukewarm compared to some of the other um, some of the other segments here but and I think one of the big things that's going to play into this is the covid cases. I mean we we keep saying it we're not out of this pandemic. If you look at the consumer confidence and overlay it with COVID cases, you can see that the peaks and valleys match up. So they work inversely of each other. Where we've seen the lowest consumer confidence is the two months we've seen the highest COVID cases, which I think is August and April. Uh, I, I'm off the top right. of my head, I think it's August and April, which now we're reaching that new daily high right now in October. So I, I have to think the new the preliminary uh, number from the University of Michigan came out uh, for the consumer sentiment and it did grow a little bit, I think to 80.2. But it, it wouldn't surprise me if we see that number fall back a little bit. I think that... I think that the media is going to be all over rising COVID cases. I think that this, this dark winter idea that we keep hearing may come to fruition, and it might scare some people uh, into saving some money through the through the winter. But all that being said, I, I'm with you. I still think we have a strong holiday season. I don't think we need that benefit, which I once thought we did need. Uh, I don't think we need it, but I do. I'm weary of the COVID-19 cases moving forward.
1: So that makes sense. And, you know, the other thing that the COVID, the pickup in COVID-19 cases it it obviously uh depresses economic activity because then everybody's got to stay home and it it really limits that sort of snapback and particularly in services demand for you know things like hotels restaurants Mm -hmm. leisure travel all that sort of thing so there is a real economic effect but what it also does is it dings the stock market and so when people start to see their wealth going down then that really hits those big ticket items and there's this waterfall effect but You know, one thing that I know um, following Warren Buffett for a very long time and uh, watching all his annual meetings, one thing Warren will always tell you is, you know, don't bet against America or the American consumer. consumer. And when, you know, following this space for 10 years and just, you know, trying to short stocks and it's just so hard to do because, uh, you know, the last time, for example, holiday spending, do you know when the last time holiday spending in the U.S. fell? Ooh, uh, 2008, 2008. And the last time before then, Ooh, eighties. It had to have been at least in the nineties because the chart I looked back on went back to 2000. So that's one out of, you know, 20 years. So, um, I do think, and, and, and then when you think about Christmas, there are so many emotional attachments for a consumer. It's really hard, especially if you have a family, uh, you're just going to cut back somewhere else, uh, in my opinion and rather than uh, not spend money on Christmas presents and people have proven you know, generally they'll go into debt or they'll go they'll tap into their savings to do it. So I really doubt it'll be down much if it's down at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're right. We've proven, the American consumer has proven that if you give us money, we're really good at spending it. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it look, look at the retail spending. I mean, it's got this, you're talking about a V-shaped recovery. Look at retail spending. It's It fell, I don't know, you know, 20%, 30%. And then within three months, it's back up above uh, 1.9% in the recent month, year over year. So right. Americans will spend money uh, if you give it to us. So let's talk about money in a different sense here let's move on to driver wages this is our big conversation we're going to hammer this out for the last eight or ten minutes here seth you recently wrote a paper on driver wages kind of the inflationary cycle that we could be entering based on the hot market and the fact that schneider national has raised their wages give us the the premise of the paper again it came on the heels of schneider national um what are your expectations for driver wages
1: uh, yeah. So I wrote a uh, passport research paper. If you're a subscriber there, uh, take a look at your inbox from last Friday and uh, we're going to get it posted in Sonar as well. But you know, the general idea is the trucking market really heated up uh, in March, but really after April, right? And it's just kind of gone vertical. Um, capacity has really tightened. Rates have skyrocketed. I think spot rates have doubled. Um, and uh, there's just a lot more volume flowing through the system. So when we look at our tender uh, accepted uh, adjusted index, you know, talking about growth of, call it 15% in volume. Sure. Uh, and then when you look at, uh, the other thing I looked at in the paper, so uh, when you get a short-term mismatch of, uh, you've, you've had the driving, you've got a little bit of a short-term mismatch in terms of drivers. So yep. there's been two main factors weighing on that. So. You know, you've obviously you've got the drug and alcohol clearinghouse stuff, which is crimping the available driver school. You've got all the normal stuff with, you know, drivers going into other industries and being old. But the other thing that is really in uh, the the analyst, Jack Atkins from Stevens, really went into depth on this last week, which is uh, the average. I think he surveyed, what, 28 driving schools yep. and the average driving school today. Still, this is six months after. Uh, you know, the major outbreak of COVID in the U.S. And those are still only running at 57 percent of pre-pandemic capacity. Correct. And I think what, a quarter of them are still either permanently yeah, 22, or 22
0: percent, either permanently or uh, or at least in the meantime, shut down. I think it's said 82 or 88 percent of all driving schools had been affected at some point, which is just insane.
1: Right, so when you play that forward, you've got this hot market, you've got booming volumes, uh, you know, new truck orders factor in there as well. Those have been extraordinarily depressed. The last month was just a, a gangbuster number, but that was the first time in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you play all that through, uh, you know, you you need more drivers. And so what we've seen is as the cycle heats up and everybody thinks we're gonna get a big wage, uh, contract rate increase, um, uh, in 2021, uh, you know, our expectations for at least for a mid-single-digit uh, wage increase. And so, you know, as you get that, you're going to have to pay more of that out to the drivers to mm-hmm. both attract and retain them until uh, this we can kind of get through this bottleneck. So that's kind of the essence of the paper. But then we went into some other things, like we looked at how much driver pay is inflated over the last decade. And then we went through some of the financial implications of, you know, for example, if this. You know, if this becomes widespread throughout the industry, what happens if rates go back down again in 2022?
0: Yeah, so we won't get into the specifics of that model, but again, uh, it's on freightwaves.com forward slash passport. You get all of our research from Passport, me and Seth's team, as well as JP's team. Go take a look at it. I mean, some incredible stuff there. This driver wages paper is just one of dozens and dozens of paper that comes out uh, every other, all all, all the time, really. So let's talk about this. There's a. You think there might be a prisoner's dilemma of sorts here. You think that, uh, or you you may think this. You wrote this in the paper. Do you think there is going to be a prisoner's dilemma in which other carriers kind of look at the market and say, if we don't raise rates, we're going to lose our drivers?
1: I think so. And especially so one thing we talked about in the paper is uh, so when the big guys start doing it, uh, everyone else almost has to follow suit. So, you know, uh, John Kingston, uh, one of our uh, writers, wrote a story about how Schneider National, you know, who's a who's a gigantic fleet uh, here in the U.S., they raised their uh, their team driver pay uh, by like seven percent for experienced drivers. Um, And so that should kick off uh, because if you think about it, just amongst the big carriers, if you're working for one of the other four or five and you're not getting that pay increase, you're going to say, hey, I want to go over to Schneider and then right. so on down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've also seen it at um, some of the smaller and midsize fleets. And um, the other thing that I think, well, I think we again, we talked about this earlier, but if drivers know that a company is raising rates and their shippers are paying more to move that freight, they're going to want a piece of the action. They're going to deserve a piece of that action. Um, and so, and this is just what happens, right? And traditional trucking market cycles, as it heats up, uh, you know, uh, what ends the cycle is you get you know your driver pay raises, which attracts more drivers, right. and then you right. get more truck orders. That eventually, when demand does turn down one day, it eventually swamps it, and the you know the pendulum
0: swings back the other way. So. Let's talk about the trucking stocks for a minute because we think that we may have re- we may have reached a peak. They've they may have reached a peak. That's a that's a mouthful. We've uh, we've they've traded off about 10 to 15 percent as a whole, pretty much. We we track this weekly in our uh, DHL supply chain pricing power index. We have our trucking stock indices there, and we've seen them kind of trade off over the last couple of weeks. Why do you think that's happening? Do you think they haven't seen this uh, the, the the bottlenecks at the driver training schools, or what do you think the reason is that you're seeing a sell-off you now?
1: I think it's a couple things. So um, the stock market is very forward looking. So generally, um, look, at, I'd say six to 12 months in the future. So right now, people are saying we know 2020 is great. We know 2021 is probably going to be even better. But what does 2022 look like? Right. So I think as people are looking through that um, and now uh, it's a little bit of is this as good as it gets? And if so, I want to get out of there before the selling pressure begins. So in other words, even though the actual trucking market and the economics of that market itself may stay hot for another nine to twelve months, the stocks may not may go down before that. And so while you know most trucking companies may have a banner year in 2021, their stocks may not. So I think it's a little bit of that. The other and so spot rates, we've seen the truck stop national spot rate per mile uh you know it peaked out around what three dollars yeah just just a hair under what about 280 right now so i think whenever it gets up to three dollars generally you start to see a flush of capacity and you start to see those new truck orders and and we got that in september so in september the new truck orders increased by 145 percent. so I, I think it's a little people a little bit of investors um shooting first and asking questions later and and having sort of an itchy trigger finger. And the other thing that I think that could be playing a part is if you think about portfolio managers and dedicated transportation investors, there could be a money rotation effect going on. Because to me, as I look at trucking stocks or early cycle stocks, because they have all that operating leverage to win the cycle and flex higher, you know Some of the other areas, such as rail, where volumes are just now starting to look like they might go positive for the first time in years, LTL, intermodal, stuff like that, on a relative basis, and even brokers may and, and 3PLs may, may be a more pre- attractive place to start parking your money.
0: Yeah, I mean, as that, you know, you're right, early cycle. That's what we write. You wrote your recent, actually, it wasn't recent now, the uh, freight brokerage across, freight performance across the brokerage cycle, uh, which, again, is another uh, passport research paper where we we talk about how brokerage margins squeeze towards the beginning and expand towards the end of the cycle there. But, yeah, so that... So that works on that. So we've got, again, a huge week coming up for us. We've, next week, we've got a three-day event. The first day is the Venture Summit. The next two days are our FreightWaves Live at home. We've got some amazing lineup of speakers. Steve Case, the former co-founder of AOL, will be uh, the keynote for that Freight Tech Summit, uh, for the Freight Tech Venture Summit. We've also got the Freight Tech Awards coming out, which I'm very excited about. This is something that I do. Make sure to tune into that for that Wednesday, uh, Thursday morning. Uh, but that's all we got. You guys have a great rest of your week. Keep killing it. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great one. Thank you.